With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to episode 221 of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as always by the great Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. What's happening, my friend? Did you have a good fourth? Perfectly fine. Went and uh, went up to Santa Barbara, listened to my father's uh, town band perform various hints of the season, Stars and Stripes Forever and whatnot. How about you? Oh, you know, lots of fireworks. It was a really, really nice day. I slept until noon. It was glorious. <laughs> that is that is what holidays are supposed to be about. I hope that everybody celebrated the glorious 4th in whatever way seemed patriotic to them. Yes. Well, without further ado, let's kick off things where we normally do with the week in headlines. Number one. Up first... Sex Education will come to an end in September with its fourth and final season on Netflix. Dan, this is one of our favorite shows that we have in common. And, you know, we've had Lori Nunn on the on the podcast before. But were you surprised by this this news? Not really. It, this this was probably, well, I mean, A, how could anybody possibly be surprised by anything ending at any point? I mean, whatever. No, this this is this is exactly probably what the show was supposed to be. And also, I think as we discussed when we had Laurie on the podcast, season three seemed like a perfectly fine place to end uh, sex education just in a general sense, and season four will be as well. But it it's a show that we, as you say, both really enjoy. So I will yeah. I will hope that the last season is what we want it to be. Yeah, and obviously a big launch pad for a lot of its cast members who have gone on to many, many other things, including Doctor Who. There's a cast one of the cast members is in the new Barbie movie, et cetera. And if you're interested, you can go back and listen to that terrific interview with creator and showrunner Lori Nunn. That was in episode 138 from October 1st, 2021. Like everything else, it seems like a million years ago. Uh, speaking of shows coming to coming to an end, in this case, slightly more abruptly, Freeform is thinning its roster of scripted originals with the cancellations of Single Drunk Female and The Watchful Eye. I am not completely sure what The Watchful Eye actually is slash was, but I know that I am sad and disappointed that uh, that Single Drunk Female is ending. That was a show that was both genuinely funny had a really good ensemble, had very good points that it wanted to make about addiction and recovery and family and all of that stuff. Uh, some of the some of the Massachusetts stuff about the show didn't really ring true to me, but in general, I thought it was a really good show. And Sophia Black uh, Dahlia was just giving a really good performance on that show, and that is unfortunately another one of those shows that uh, that. You know, it it suddenly vanished from Hulu within two to three days of the cancellation because that is just yeah. apparently the way that That's things brutal. work in television today. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, Freeform's current scripted roster, what remains is you've got Good Trouble, which is the spinoff of The Fosters, Cruel Summer, an upcoming dramedy called While You Were Breeding, and the upcoming animated show Praise PD. So, and all of this, of course, in addition to the final season of Grownish, which is going to be stretched out and end in 2024. So 
yeah, thinning the herd. And there's a, a definite theme here in headlines this week. And and up next in headlines, Showtime has dropped Mandy Patinkin comedy Seasoned and plans for a Gattaca TV sequel that would have brought Homeland creators Alex Gansa and Howard Gordon back to the network. Showtime has also abandoned two other scripted shows that were in early development. But what's interesting here is that the news comes as Gattaca was the very first piece of development that was bought by Chris McCarthy, the executive at Paramount Global, since he added oversight of Showtime late last year. Instead, McCarthy plans to focus Showtime in three key lanes, anti-heroes, powerful worlds, and diverse cultures. And we've talked on previous episodes about billions and trillions, which is a real spinoff of, that they're working on. You know, there's so many spinoffs of, of, of billions in the works. Of course, the flagship is ending. And then you've got Dexter being turned into a franchise with others rumored to be in the works as well. So, yeah. So not, not a great time to be at Showtime with development and not a great time to be at Freeform. So apparently not a great time to be in a lot of different places. Um, OK, so when you say and I'm just going to keep making fun of this, hopefully as long as humanly possible, anti-heroes, powerful worlds and diverse cultures is is powerful worlds. What billions, trillions and zillions? Is that what that means? <laughs> I believe so. And and again, just to be clear, these are this is terminology that that Showtime has come up with in terms of what their new direction is under McCarthy. So it's basically the Yellowstone effect. So if you've got a hit show that works, it's going to get the franchise treatment in one of these buckets. Figuring it, I just it is just always so baffling when network heads or publicists or whatever decide to come up with these kind of catch-all pieces of jargon. Whether it's and, and sometimes it's obviously the executives, whether it's the premium cheeseburger or God, there the was comers. Remember when uh, <sighs> Tom Asham, the former head of Freeform, coined that is what the network's uh, key audience was. Yes, the comers. Um, and then there was also. God, at, there was some point. Premium at, female. Yes, stars. stars. That was what I was. I <laughs> I knew that I knew that there was a ridiculous one that that stars had, and I was never in a million years going to come up with premium females as being what the name was. Wow. Okay, so one more time, folks, to, to pay attention. If people ask you what is on Showtime these days, the answer is anti-heroes, powerful worlds, and diverse cultures. That is. So weird. Okay. Anyway, continuing along and also continuing along with things abruptly ending and also continuing along with things that we like abruptly ending and continuing along with things that former TV's Top 5 guests did. This just in, Robin Thede's A Black Lady Sketch Show has been canceled after four seasons on HBO. That is... Too bad. I I don't have I don't have anything else. It it got longer than uh, Robin Thede's BET show, and so I guess we give it full credit for that. But yeah, that's that's annoying, and it also it kind of points to that the strange HBO 11 p.m. Friday block, which had a lot of really good stuff in it, and it's all getting killed. So. You had Black Lady Sketch Show, you had Los Spookies, which was canceled, and you had... Come on, Dan, say it properly. Los Spookies. There you go. And then, of course, How To with John Wilson, which is uh, ending after season three, and no one exactly said that one was being canceled. It's just ending, but still in all, that is a block that yielded some really good programming, and either it's not going to continue to, or else the principle is just it was a block that yielded 
let's call it a lot of stars, delicate programming. And so, you know, if, if programming is delicate, then sometimes I guess it ends after two, three, four seasons. But yeah, that's that is that is too bad. Really like Black Lady Sketch Show and really continue to think that Robin Thede is a spectacular talent. And I assume that she will get other opportunities and I look forward to seeing what yeah, she still are. has an overall deal at HBO. So maybe there's more to come from that. And in a shameless plug, you know, a big thank you goes out to Robin Thede as she was uh, one of our very first showrunner guests. We hadn't even branded the segment as a showrunner spotlight. But if you want to listen to that it's one of my favorites. Again, that's way, way back in episode 31. Dan, we were babies. July 25th, 2019, recorded in person at TCA. Indeed. It was a TCA press tour interview. It was indeed one of our very earliest. Uh, it was after our ATX TV Festival live podcast, which kind of convinced us that that was more the direction we wanted the show to go. And a shout out to all of the nice people uh who came up to me at ATX last month and wanted to say that they had been in the crowd for that recording and said that they want to see another live podcast in the future. It'll happen again someday. I, I fully yeah. believe that. But but you can go back and listen to that one too. That's episode 25 from June 7th, 2019. Honestly, is there is there an episode from the 220 previous episodes that you would tell people they shouldn't go back to listen to? Is it, do you, do you, Would you like to single out an episode that probably people... Probably our first one. <laughs> well, I suspect probably among our... Probably in, the, yeah. in that first 25, there are probably a bunch that people can I see. had stage fright when we first started. I was very nervous, Dan. Ah, and look and at you, you, of course, as the podcast veteran, just reassured me at every step. That is that is what I am here for. And now you have 220 some odd episodes under your belt and no more nerves at all. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Up next, from TV shows cycling out of existence to... Another of our favorite topics, oh yes, we are hopping back on the executive carousel with a rather major change at NBC Universal, and not just that, a rather major change that involves a podcast guest whose episode you're probably going to plug somewhere in the next two to three minutes. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just going to start right off with that. So Susan Rovner, who joined us for that wide-ranging talk in our 200th episode, looking at the state of Peacock and NBC she is out as part of a larger restructuring happening at NBC Universal. So a quick refresher, Rovner is the served as the entertainment chairman. She oversaw Peacock and NBC and a slate of cable networks, including Sci-Fi, Bravo, Oxygen, USA, and E, among others. She's been had been there for two and a half years. So we're she will remain on in an advisory role to help with the transition, but her departure is, is, as you said, part of a rather large restructuring under Comcast president Mike Cavanaugh. So all of this, of course, was prompted by the sudden departure or the Jeff Shell, uh, former NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell, who was pushed out. We talked about that in a previous episode. Instead, Mike Cavanaugh will not replace Shell and instead divvy up Shell's responsibilities to a core leadership team that includes film chief Donna Langley, streaming boss Mark Lazarus, news chief Cesar Conde, and parks boss Mark Woodbur in a bid to streamline the decision making and improve collaboration. Langley now will oversee 
the newly created NBC Universal Studio Group as chairman of NBC Universal Studio Group and chief content officer. This is a rare role in Hollywood, uniting both the film and TV studios under one exec. And a woman, no doubt, too. So a woman to boot. So we're going to applaud that one. Great, great news for Donna Langley. She's been there forever. At the same time, Frances Berwick, who we've talked about on the show before, she will now become chairman of NBC Universal Entertainment, which is a newly formed role that will report into Lazarus and Langley. Berwick will add original content across broadcast cable and Peacock to her current responsibilities running Linear Entertainment Network. So if Berwick's name sounds familiar, it should, because we've talked in the past, you know, when Rovner first joined two and a half years ago, we talked that they NBC leadership at the time split the the job in two, basically, with Susan Rovner overseeing the creative elements and Berwick overseeing kind of the business side of things, right? So that includes like marketing and accounting and finance and all those things. So now Berwick, who is a multiple decade veteran running all of those those cable networks, is adding all of the creative back to her portfolio and the creative for Peacock and NBC at the same time. So it's a big move. That is a lot of power now. Well, I guess I guess this goes back to a thing that you've been talking about many different times is, is people assuming the, ascending to these positions where they have kind of these broad portfolios, because that is a thing that you have talked about many times is the people taking on the broad portfolios. It sounds as if Donna Langley's portfolio here is a massive Portfolio. Yeah, film studio and all of the TV studios. Of course, Perlina Igbakwe, who's a tremendous talent, remains at the helm of all of the studios, but Perlina now reports into Donnie Langley. Yeah, when we when we had uh, Susan Robner on the podcast, as you say, episode 200, just the, the sheer number of things that she was able to talk to that were under her purview. So the fact that she's having her stuff put under someone else's purview, someone else who already had many, many things. I'm just going to keep saying purview over and over and over again. I mean, it's I, a fun one. It's, all, it's, it's a, not Los Espookies. No, but, no, it's nothing. Very little. It's Los Espookies. God, why did Los Espookies not air for a hundred years? I am, I'm just sad about that now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that is that is a, a big, big move. And Again, you can go back and listen to episode 200 for Susan Rubner talking about all of the things that she was handling and all of the things that she could speak to. Phew. Lots of shakeups, but that's just how this all goes in the biz, I suppose. Yeah, and, and the key thing from this memo um, as part of the reorg is the key word is streamlined. You know, a lot of the sources that I have at NBC Universal had complained over the last couple of years that everything was like it was just there were so many layers to cut through before you could do anything, before you could make any decision, before you could buy a script, et cetera. In setting this new structure, they're saying that this is the key thing is that it will help streamline the company, which should help put a lot of fears from staffers at bay, at least the, the complaints from the staffers that I had been hearing for the last couple I just of don't, years. So. I just don't know the line, though, between streamlining and overextending certain people. I just like, but at the same time, yeah. like you need the film studio and the TV studio to work in, in tandem. I mean, look at, at, at Marvel and star Wars, for example, right. You know, remember when we used to tease about, you know, joke about Jeff Loeb and it's all connected. And it was like connected by like a tiny little, you know, a, a rubber band that was 50 years old and about to break, you know? So 
here, I mean, maybe you're going to get a Fast and the Furious TV show that's been rumored for years at this point. You know, Rover had tried to do that. There was a Pitch Perfect spinoff following Bumper, so meh. Uh, and then the, the, there's an upcoming uh, live action animated hybrid version of Ted with Seth MacFarlane. Sure. But I mean, the big overlap needs to exist where you have to have these two sides working in tandem if you're going to achieve the kind of success that you want. When you look at Disney and Marvel and Lucasfilm as the example of of that success. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how this how this all shakes out. But uh, for now. Pour one out for Rovner, who who had a, a, a decent tenure there with hits like Night Court and The Traitors and Poker Face, a couple others. And you can go back and listen to that that conversation. It was a good one in episode 200. Yeah, part of, part of the point of the conversation was that uh, people were suggesting that at that point, Peacock had had turned a corner, that there was that there was suddenly this excitement around Peacock. And that was part of the narrative that we spoke to her about. So, so there you go. But yes, uh, it, it just putting too much power in any one person's hand feels to me like a recipe for uh for giving every studio their own version of david zasloff and uh <laughs> i don't know if that's what anyone wants yeah i'm not touching that one dan <laughs> number three up next it's a dan segment the temperatures are heating up i've had some barbecue it's Summer is here, and with that, guess what? It's a July TV preview. So before I kick it over, I'm just going to run through some of the high-profile premieres that are coming in the month ahead. You've got at Amazon, The Horror of Dolores Roach. TBS has Miracle Workers End Times. The After Party returns for its delayed second season. Max launches Full Circle. Netflix debuts Survival of the Thickest. What We Do in the Shadows is back for its fifth season on FX and Hulu. Foundation Season 2 arrives on Apple. Uh, One of my uh, guilty pleasures, The Summer I Turned Pretty, is back for its second season on Amazon. Justified and Timothy Oliphant is back with City Primeval on FX. Minx is back, not on Max or HBO, but on Stars, its new home. Then you've got the Futurama return on Hulu, which I'm very excited about. I love that one. My wife and I watch together a lot. We watch repeats of that all the time. Peacock launches Twisted Metal. Good Omens is back for its second season on Amazon. You've got How To with John Wilson season three on HBO. Another one of our favorites, Dan, This Fool returns on Hulu. And another one of your favorites, Dark Winds season two on AMC, which I know we've had some listeners complain in the past that we weren't able to get to the review of season season one of Dark Winds. But now... Why don't you start there, Dan? That That's back July 30th. <laughs> I have nothing to say about it. I haven't watched season two of Dark Winds yet. I don't even know if we have credit, if we have screeners yet. I definitely am curious about it, though, because uh, because my feeling on, on that show was that it was kind of a it was a six hour premise pilot, basically. And I was really interested to see what that show was going to look like when it actually became a show. So I'm looking forward to that, I, I think. uh Son McLaren is not going to get nominated for an Emmy for it, but he he pretty viably could, just like he also pretty viably could be nominated for a guest acting nomination for Reservation Dogs, which returns at the very beginning of August. So it's right on the right on the edge of this period. No, this is it's a weird month. It really is, because on one hand, it definitely we, we are beginning to feel simultaneously the effects of the strike but also the effects of July is simply a slightly lighter month just as a rule. If you go back to last year, 
August was ridiculous. August had all of those gigantic genre premieres. It had Lord of the Rings. It had House of the Dragon. It had just huge premieres. Uh, and July was lighter. So July feels lighter, but there's a lot of big stuff in July and a lot of stuff that people love that are maybe sort of kind of, you know, tailored to people who already know that they love it and it doesn't necessarily matter what a critic is going to say about it. So maybe next week I will have watched a couple episodes of Foundation. Maybe I won't. I was kind of mixed on the first season and so I I don't know. Uh, But just there, there's a lot of self-selection to a lot of the things this month. You know, if you are the audience for Foundation Season 2, you already know you're the audience for Foundation Season 2. I I like the number of shows that are kind of returning that feel like they've been gone for a million years. Uh, So some of them, they're returning for, you know, after a long time away, and it's entirely logical. So justified coming back with City Primeval. Um, I can tell you without spoiling much of anything and since the embargo's up got no problems with it the return of justified is really really solid and it, and it has a lot of great things going for it i'll go into more details we get closer but you can kind of understand why that was a show that took a while off it was a show that had a a great ending and it didn't necessarily need any more time but it, they found a way to do it but you know shows like minx it's been a while since Minx was on the air. You can go back and listen to our interview with Ellen Rappaport from God Only Knows When. I'll let Leslie go through her magical Google Docs that so she can tell you when that show premiered. But it was a good chat with Ellen Rappaport. Yep, that would be episode 159, March 11th, 2022. But that one was delayed, obviously, because of the whole moving from HBO Max to... I mean, uh, they, I, I mean it wasn't really delayed. They, they were almost done. I think they had maybe another week... Uh, left in production at the time that when they they when HBO and Max or whatever we're calling them decided to to drop that. No, so. it wasn't it wasn't delayed in terms of production. They kept they kept roaring right through production. They they were right at the end. I just feel as if it probably would have premiered a little bit sooner if there hadn't been a month where they were in the process of finding a new home for it and all of that. But anyway, I've seen the first episode of that because uh, I did an ATX panel for it and that was fun. But some of the shows, you know, Project Greenlight is returning to Max uh, with Issa Rae as the mastermind of it. And the last season is mostly only remembered by people for the the dumb, systemically racist things that Matt Damon said. So you can kind of understand why they didn't rush that one back. I'm really looking forward to the new season of Project Greenlight. Um, you know, Love Island is coming back. Yay! Uh, <laughs> fine, not so excited about that. You didn't mention Harley Quinn, another show. We've had uh, the Harley Quinn creators, uh, Justin and Patrick, on the podcast multiple times, uh, and they are among our favorites. So uh, I don't know if you're about to tell me some numbers on those or not. I don't want to step on your feet if you are. Yeah, we had Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher on for Harley Quinn. That was episode 47. I remember that interview. It was done in our old, old office. Uh, in person, obviously, and and one of the great ones. So that was episode 47 from November 15th, 2019. And fun story, that's the same episode where you can listen to Bill Abbott uh, shoot himself (laughs) in the foot about his time at Hallmark. And then we had them back, I think, in January of last year, I feel like. January of 2020. That's right. 
Well, we had him in September nope. 2022. Yes. Uh, talking about Harley Quinn and Abbott Elementary as part of our Emmys preview, which, spoiler alert, we might have more on in that in this week's episode. Eh, a little bit. Not, I, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yes. No. Okay. So we had Quinta when it premiered in January. That was that was the part that I got confused on. And then we had Justin and Patrick on ahead of Emmys. So that makes That's sense. That's right. We had Quinta Brunson on. This is fun, Dan. Quinta <laughs> Brunson on for Abbott Elementary in episode 149 from January 7th. 2022 where you can also go back and listen to how uh uh how the cw was for sale and and see if any of the predictions that we made then came true there is no way we predicted (laughs) where the cw is right now in that segment i i feel i feel pretty confident without listening to that um and then there are shows like and I'll, i'll touch briefly on miracle workers uh which is another show just kind of you could completely forget that that was a show that uh, <laughs> that continued to exist, coming back for a fourth season. Lincoln Lawyer, big hit for Netflix, or so Netflix says. Who the hell knows? And yeah, then, remember when that was in development at CBS? I do, I do. Gourmet Cheeseburger. And then there are shows like Almost Paradise on Freebie that I legitimately could not tell you what that show is. What's that one called? It is Almost Paradise. Sounds unscripted or like a documentary? No, no, it's or not. Or a docuseries. It it's scripted? A, it is, indeed. No. It, prom- is it acquired? I, what's it called? I think it jumped from some other, almost paradise. I'm going to, I'll let you find out what it is. I think it's Christian Kane. I think it, uh, it might be Dean Devlin who produced it. I could be making every bit of this up. It is not a show that I watched any of, so... Oh, this is on Freebie. It is on Freebie now, but I... Oh, feel- you said Freeform. Yes, I did. That was yeah. that, that was my mistake, but yes. I, that's why I didn't know what it was. Oh, that's why you didn't know what it was. You don't know what that show is still. You're looking no, at it. I mean, up. I don't know. I still don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'm, I'm very familiar. I just wrote about freeform cancellation, so I'm very familiar with what their scripted slate looks like. And I was like, did I miss one? That is true. I'm not sure. It is it is freebie. Um, freebie. And then they're Sorry. just and then they're just lot, you know, you you mentioned twisted metal. If you are in the demographic for that, you are looking forward to that. Similarly, probably if you're in the Taylor Sheridan demographic you're looking forward to special ops lioness which is ridiculously star-studded i mean it's like it's Zoe saldana in the lead but it's nicole kidman it's morgan freeman god that taylor sheridan he sure does write a lot of scripts in that little shack of his in idaho or wherever he is without the help of anybody else sometimes in eight eight hours or something and of course they're just the shows that we really, really, really like, like what we do in the shadows. I'm very much looking forward to that. But there are so many random things. There's a bunch of sports programming that probably I'm going to review that no one else will even notice, like quarterback on Netflix or the uh, Wilt Chamberlain documentary Goliath on Showtime. There's also an Oscar De La Hoya documentary at some point in this month. Uh, you mentioned how few things that Freeform has. See, Freeform, not Freebie, has in development, but Praise PD is coming out this month. It's animated, and the first trailer, I believe, debuted today, and it actually looked pretty good. It looked uh, it, about the daughter of a cult leader or something. I, I knew absolutely nothing about it coming in, and now I'm at least curious. So, yeah, there's... There's a lot of TV, even if it does feel... I, I, there's a documentary about Sean White. Blech. Lots and lots of TV, Leslie. Lots and lots of TV, even in a month that is, quote unquote, slow. Yeah, yeah. 
And you didn't mention one of the things that I'm most looking forward to that's on TV next week, but we'll get to that in Critics Corner. Uh, didn't I? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. It's not on this list either that we're looking at. Uh, Are you so kindly prepared for me? Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I look forward to finding out what it is. Lots and lots and lots of TV. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number four. That's right. But before we get to Critics Corner up next, welcome to award season 2023. The Emmy nominations are coming out July 12th. But before Dan gets on a soapbox to yell about Rhea Sehorn one final time, the nominations have already been out for the Television Critics Association's annual awards. So we're going to look at that really quick and then I'll kick it over to Dan. But no surprise here among critics, Succession, The Last of Us, as well as The Bear led all nominations for the 39th annual TCA Awards. All three are nominated for Program of the Year alongside last year's winner, Abbott Elementary, Andor, Better Call Saul, Poker Face, The Other Two, and The White Lotus. HBO and Max, or whatever we're calling them, led the pack with 20 nominations, followed by FX with 10, Disney Plus, and Peacock with nine each. My favorite category, Dan, is the Outstanding New Program, which can often serve as a barometer for Emmy consideration. And those nominees are Andor, Interview with the Vampire, which I'm honestly surprised by, Jury Duty, Mrs. Davis, Poker Face, Shrinking, The Bear, and The Last of Us. Dan, your thoughts on the TCA nominations before we talk about Better Call Saul? <laughs> First of all, I'm going to have to note that when I get on that soapbox, I'm going to call Ray Seahorn Ray Seahorn, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, listen, if you listen to this show long enough, you can tell that I have trouble pronouncing names. <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit dyslexic, so sometimes things look different when I look at the at the at the words on the page. No, so, there anyway. there are lots of people who pronounce that name. Bria, it's just not how she pronounces her name. Uh, it, the, I, I'm not, I am not a big fan of that outstanding new program category, mostly because, to my mind, uh, limited series shouldn't be included in that category. It's, it's a different thing, uh, limited series. So, to me, Mrs. Davis shouldn't be there. Jury duty shouldn't be there. I don't think jury duty should be anywhere, frankly. But that's neither here nor there. People do love them some jury duty, which is just fine and gives me an excuse to keep saying duty. Uh, no. So, so, uh, it's an, it's an interesting assortment of nominations. I think in a lot of cases, there are things that I would have liked to have seen get more recognition reservation. Such as, oh, there you go. When have I ever not given clarification for things that I was annoyed by? (laughs) You just had to wait. (laughs) 
Come on. A little impatient today, Dan. Jeez. Uh, I would would start with Reservation Dogs, uh, only getting the single nomination for Outstanding Comedy Series. Definitely on my own ballot, I had that one down for Program of the Year. I had Devery Jacobs down for uh, Outstanding Achievement in Comedy. I had it down as many different places as I could justify having it down, basically. So slightly disappointed on that. Um, I don't want to say I'm surprised to see the amount of recognition for no, I'm. I don't want to say I'm disappointed to see the amount of recognition for shrinking. Uh, I'm just a little bit surprised. I I would not have guessed it would get as many nominations as it did, which is a solid handful across a wide assortment of of things. Um, no, it's it's a uh, look. We've got a couple new categories this year, so breaking out uh, youth programming into children's programming and family programming, and I think that. For some of our membership, that's a a big and important shift. There were a lot of questions over the years as to whether the category was supposed to be for parents helping decide what young viewers could watch or whether it was going to be for things that families could all watch together. And so this year, it's now both of them in two different awards. And so on one hand, you get the category that has all of the PBS kids stuff and Sesame Street, which has won many TCA awards and stuff like that. And then you also get kind of the the mixture of here are things that families could watch together if they wanted to. And so, you know, quirky stuff like Never Have I Ever, uh, Love, Victor, High School Musical, Musical, the series, the musical, a um, little bit disappointed that uh, Freeforms, not Freeforms, Freebie, they really need, see, it's not my fault that they both start with I know. free. God. I know. But anyway, I certainly voted for uh, Freebie's high school in that category, um, which could could still use a renewal. And I thought that would have been a good example of a show that we could have recognized in that category. Um, You know, to to me, there's no real excuse for jury duty being in the reality category where we also have it. Uh, It's a show where almost everything in it was either wholly scripted or improv comedy, but not really reality. The only reality element of that entire show was the main guy who did almost nothing in the entire series. He kind of reacted to things happening around him. To me, that's not really what that category is supposed to be. Lots of interesting people in the individual achievement categories. You you get all of the various succession people uh, for individual achievement and drama. So all of the siblings, <laughs> well, except for Alan Ruck, sorry, Alan Ruck, but uh, Kieran Culkin, Sarah Snook and Jeremy Strong going head to head in that category. But also I'm really happy to see Dominique Fishback for Swarm, who gave definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. So very happy to see her there. Happy to see Ray Seahorn, though seeing Ray Seahorn in that category, but not seeing Bob Odenkirk is to me a, a head scratcher. I, you know, it, to me, it doesn't take anything away from Ray Seahorn to say that Bob Odenkirk, you know, has always been the spine of that show. Uh, it's a no, it lots lots of good stuff in this, and it'll be interesting to see how many of the good things are then echoed in the Emmy nominations next week. So we'll obviously spend significantly more time next week when I can actually be annoyed by the nominations. Uh, but I'll be curious to see some of the shows that kind of dropped off of the critical radar if they're similarly off of the Emmy radar. So something like Ted Lasso, which, you know, won multiple TCA awards a couple of years ago, 
nowhere to be found. Um, yeah, snubbed entirely. Which, you know, does somewhat reflect the critical temperature of the room on the last season. But, you know, we, we are a, a, a group of diverse opinions, and so there could have been support for it. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, a show that certainly has gotten TCA nominations in the past. Is it going to be similarly snubbed by the Emmys? Only Murders in the Building, a show that got had more support for its first season, etc. Will the Bear have as much support? Now, keep in mind that all of these awards and rec and nominations are for the first season of the Bear. They are not for the season that just premiered, and so you know. I, but on the other hand, it's one of those situations where the Bear got a boost of publicity and and love, and and so it's bound to help it. People are are sure to vote for the bear kind of combining seasons one and two into one big blur. And we'll see how that ends up playing. And, you know, then we're going to have to see, there are, there are a lot of things that feel more like Emmy shows or things that could have felt like Emmy shows. Like I'm, I'm genuinely surprised Christina Applegate didn't get a nomination uh, from us uh, for the last season of, of, Dead to me. Dead to me. Yeah. Because I, I thought she was one. Or Linda Cardellini, honestly. But I, I, great. I thought Christina Applegate was it. It was her season, even without the narrative about her MS diagnosis in the background. I, I just thought it was a, a really just a wonderful performance in the second season, and and just a performance that gave the show so much gravity. And and I was surprised that it, it didn't get a T, that she didn't get a TCA nomination. And I would expect she will get some Emmy recognition. But it's it's going to be interesting. Is is the great off of the radar entirely? Uh, is the fact that we didn't nominate Jenna Ortega? Um, is that going to have anything to do with what Emmy voters are going to do? My guess is that probably the great is not going to be on the Emmy radars, but I think probably Jenna Ortega will be. And so, you know, the fact that she wasn't recognized by critics probably won't end up mattering much. Uh, but. Um, yeah, no, there, there's gonna be a lot of, what interesting about Harrison Ford Emmy nomination for shrinking? I, I would, I would guess Jason Siegel for shrinking. I would guess everyone for shrinking. I Jessica, was it, is it, what's her name? Uh, Williams, uh, Jessica, Jessica Williams. I mean, wow. She was so good. I, I mean, I love shrinking period. I, I would not expect, I would expect Harrison Ford to be the show's best chance. I would, I would not expect anyone else to, to get nominations if i had to at guess. least from the acting side on the acting side i and honestly i would be surprised if it, it was as well recognized overall as as the critics did i you know just but 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 who knows there's just no way of of necessarily predicting any of this stuff i think this is probably one of the most wide open years in recent memory for the limited series category i feel like the past few years the limited series category has been really really stacked and there have been kind of three or four shows that you anticipated were absolutely going to be front and center and we're going to get all of the nominations. But this year, a lot of the things that could have been in that category just weren't. And so, you know, whether it's White Lotus moving to to drama, even though it's a comedy or whatever. And so we're going to see whether there are a bunch of Emmy nominations for Fleischman is in trouble. I feel like a lot of the cast could be in line to get nominations. I would love to see a lot of nominations for beef. I don't feel like honestly, uh, and I'm a little surprised and disappointed. I don't feel like the TCA awards gave enough recognition to the cast of beef. I, um, I had both Stephen Yeun and Ali Wong on my ballot. So 
little disappointed there. Is something like George and Tammy going to make it? Uh, I'm not the least bit surprised that Monster the Jeffrey Dahmer story, Dahmer, Jeffrey, Monster, Dahmer, didn't get TCA recognition. But we'll see if it gets Emmy recognition. I would guess it probably will because they are a little bit more star inclined. So yeah, that that is a combined segment on TCA awards and a little, little, little bit of Emmy nomination previewing, but rest assured next week we will have oodles of oodles. He says oodles. Scads. Remind me to use that word next week. Oodles. Scads. We will have scads. We will have myriad minutes of, it will be a plethora. Anyway, lots and lots of Emmy coverage. Yes. Number five. And as usual, we wrap things up with a critics corner among this week's major new launches, you've got The Horror of Dolores Roach on Amazon, Last Call at HBO, Miracle Workers End Times at TBS, and where I'll be, Major League Baseball's All-Star Game from Seattle. That's happening July 11th. So, Dan, I leave for Seattle on Saturday. I'm going to the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. I am pumped. I will absolutely be watching the Home Run Derby on television. I may or may not be watching the actual All-Star Game. comes down to... <laughs> basically once they decided that the all-star game didn't matter i decided i didn't really care and that's a joke it's because fun and it, it's great exposure for some of the current players that may not be the the household names yet i mean look at last year's home run derby right julio rodriguez obviously a big phenom if, if you're a prospector you know in baseball you knew his name but for a mass audience watching him hit 30 home runs in a home run derby that put him on the map like I, I'm I'm excited, and they just named him as a, as an alternative so, uh, or as a sub. So pretty cool. Will Smith from the Dodgers gets his first All Star game as a backup catcher for the NL. That's that's pretty cool. He's one of the one of the great Dodgers on on the team this season, and I could go on, but that's not what this. Mo- Mookie is. Betts in the home run derby, which I uh, know, but he's going against Vladdy, so I don't know about that, Dan. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, go wait. Mookie. So which was which was the one you were that you didn't mention in the July segment that you're the All Star game. Oh, that was all it was? Okay. Yes. Come <laughs> I, on. I thought for some reason you were really, really interested in HBO's last call. It seemed it seemed possible. I mean No, it, but it's I mean, it Fox is broadcasting the All-Star game. It's, it's a big it's a big deal in baseball. And if you're, you know, and if you're me, it's, I've been watching this game since I was a kid. I love the All-Star game. I, I also hate that there's like no baseball for like a week it, around it, but still you you can't have you can't have both you you, you can't you just got to got to accept what you can accept anyway so i'll just start because i'm i'm pretending that you were really excited about last call when a serial killer I'm stalked not even sure queer what that new- is <laughs> it is last call when a serial killer stalked queer new york is its full title and it is a a four part documentary that from Anthony Corona, and it's kind of an interesting straddling of two things because it's simultaneously very much a true crime serial killer, as it says, when a serial killer stopped, stalked queer New York. But it's also about it's it's about the history of LGBTQA plus um, community in New York City and specifically uh, connections with crime in the city and the difficult relationship that the community has sometimes had with the police. So it's simultaneously a true crime serial killer documentary and an advocacy documentary 
And you can kind of guess that it's more towards the serial killer side simply because if it were more towards the advocacy side, HBO would have premiered it as part of Pride because HBO aired a bunch of documentaries tied to Pride. And very clearly, somebody made the decision that they didn't want to be airing a documentary about a serial killer killing gay people in New York in Pride. Yeah. <laughs> Which Going back to our, our usual theme of optics, yeah, not great. But it's, it's, it's very funny because the fact that they would air it this week, you know, a week and a half after the end of Pride – still is very, very close. And and somebody must have gone, okay, we can't air it June 30th, but we can air it the next week and it won't be a problem. It's it's confusing. But I do like the series because I think it covers a lot of terrain and it covers a lot of connections between terrain. So it's how did the gay community come to be in this position where victimization of this sort was possible? What was the relationship with the police? What was the relationship with the press? Um, What was the relationship with the activist community at that moment? And how did it benefit? And how was it hurt by the fact that this was... These killings all happened in the early 90s. And so the community was mobilized towards activism, obviously, by AIDS. But there's a lot of discussion in the documentary about the fact that the that the protests and marches and parades tied to AIDS and AIDS awareness, that those got a lot of support from the, uh, from the wider community, from allies. And that for some reason, the protests and parades tied to this wave of violence didn't get that support. It's fairly obvious why it didn't, but it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the documentary. I found the intersection of elements occasionally to be a little unsettling. And some of the time, I think they're absolutely supposed to be unsettling. Sometimes maybe I thought they were making connections between things that I didn't like as much, but there's a lot of pr- provocative stuff in this. And and I think that people who maybe want to check it out because of the true crime aspect, they might actually, God forbid, learn something. And so I think there's some quality to that. Uh, you mentioned the horror of Dolores Roach uh, in your intro to the July television preview. And this one is kind of, it fits into me. It's not as good as the other two, but it ties into Swarm and I'm a Virgo as these little, small, half hour kind of dramedy shows that Amazon is doing on what probably would be the the Hobbit toe hair budget from the Lord of the Rings series. And, you know, so I never feel as if they're as likely to give support to these shows. But to me, they're vastly more interesting, which does not always mean that they're successful. And the horror of Dolores Roach is, um, it's eight episodes And the first four, I was interested by it, and then I became increasingly less interested, and by the end, I was unfortunately kind of tired of it. And so that makes my recommendation, unfortunately, more tepid. But I'm also interested in what the arc of the show was. So it's created by Aaron Mark, and it was an off-Broadway play. Then it was a podcast. Now it's an Amazon series. And... 
it's kind of a modern take on Sweeney Todd. And by kind of a modern take on Sweeney Todd, I mean, it's completely and totally a modern take on Sweeney Todd, right up to the point that the music is similar, uh, that they reference Sweeney Todd multiple times. It is about a woman played by the wonderful Justina Machado, who spends 16 years in prison basically for a low-level marijuana offense. And she returns to her old neighborhood of Washington Heights with nothing and discovers that the neighborhood has basically devoured itself. It has gentrified. And very soon she finds herself in a position where she is living in the basement of an empanada restaurant and, you know, kind of gross people come through and you know, if they happen to die, how would you dispose of their bodies? Well, if you've seen or listened to or whatever Sweeney Todd, you have some sense. It is right on the edge of being a dark comedy and a horror show. I would say it starts off more comedic and satirical and towards the end becomes more uh, horrific, except that it's not really horrific. It just becomes a lot of people yelling at each other. And and so I just really ran out of interest in it by the end, unfortunately. I thought the... I thought the satire and the references to Sweeney Todd in the first few episodes were really good. I think Justina Machado is is so good, and and she's great here. It's another good vehicle for her. Uh, I'll say over and over again that she should have been nominated for multiple Emmys for One Day at a Time. It's, it's a sham that she wasn't, um, but she's great. Just probably you can watch a few minutes of it and start getting a sense of if it's for you. But the truth is it does become more and more violent, more and more gory, more and more intense and less and less funny as it goes along. And it also relies a lot on a supporting cast that has some very, very good guest performances and whatnot. Mark Marin appears in the first episode or two. Cindy Lauper has a major role so if you happen to be a fan of, well, major role, she has, she has a role, major role feels like an overstatement, but I, I thought there were some weaknesses in the supporting cast and that those kind of weigh the show down a little bit in the last couple episodes. So I, I'm really kind of mixed on this one, unfortunately starts off positive, but if, you know, so if you don't like it where it starts, you're definitely not going to like it going forward. But even if you do, it gets less funny and more bloody as it goes along. So there's that. And while I compared it to Sweeney Todd, not really much singing. So, and last but not least, I watched a few episodes of uh, of Miracle Workers because why not? I mean, the thing about Miracle Workers is I really loved the first season. Um, I thought it was a was a total hoot. The second season I didn't like at all. I ignored the third season, which was Oregon Trail basically entirely. It did nothing for me. But then I thought the premise of the fourth season, which is end times i thought it was a hoot it's kind of it's basically it's a takeoff on on mad max uh so you've got uh the characters are in a post-apocalyptic wasteland uh etc etc um and so the fun thing about the show is that it's the same core cast it's an anthology so it's daniel radcliffe steve buscemi and uh geraldine uh this one nathan and they, so they get to play different parts each season. And and those three are just always really, really good, as are uh, Karen Sani and John Bass, who have key supporting roles. Um, the, the three episodes of this that I watched 
had a little bit of extra time to kill this morning. What can I say? I mostly just didn't want to do other work. Uh, they they made me chuckle, and so I I will continue to check this one out. So, but the great thing and is G- Geraldine in Blockers alone, so good. Oh, she she is just a really really funny comic performer, and watching Steve Buscemi and uh and Daniel Radcliffe, they're just enjoying getting to do silly shit, and so there's a lot of fun to that. Uh, and that's that's really what the show is. The show is so loose. It, like, it really just, it gives the impression of here are five actors who really like each other and a hundred members of a crew who really like each other. And, and they just got together for a few weeks to goof off. And And sometimes that means that the show is way, way too loose. Like it, it, I would describe the show as sometimes feeling like, like a Twitter feed wrote a show. It's kind of a bunch of, kind of jargony here's what the hip kids on on twitter or blue sky or threads or whatever we're on this week hi mastodon if, is that post. what it was called oh god we haven't been on mastodon in in months leslie mastodon is entirely at this point for myspace we're we're past MySpace. friendster i'm dating myself aren't i you're very much dating yourself um but honestly the fact that i mentioned Blue Sky is at this point close to dating myself. That this has been a very, very involving week for social media. Uh, we could have done a whole damn segment on that, but yeah. So the show is loose. It hasn't suddenly become this tight piece of narrative. It's really just kind of it's kind of goofy, jokey. And if you like the cast, but if you're like me and you tuned out the show, it, it's probably worth checking back in. I, I don't think it's as good as the first season. I thought the first season, which was created by Simon Rich, who I don't think has worked on the subsequent seasons, I thought that I, I thought that there was actually some underlying profundity to it. There's no profundity to it at this point. It's it's just a nonstop goof, and I think there's fun to that. So that would be. Uh, yeah, that would be Miracle Workers. So just to go back through things, I think there's a lot of value to Last Call on HBO, fourth part documentary that's both true crime and advocacy. I think it's I think it's an interesting thing. I think the horror I will check that out, actually. Yeah, it's you know, it's it, it is it is true crime. It is it is a victimization narrative. There's there's a lot of that, but it's also about advocacy and about um victims rights groups and sort of standing up and finding a voice and and so there's value. Um, there's value to that horror of Dolores Roach Justina Machado is is just great I and and there's there are good ideas here I just wish that I felt the execution was on its level and if you just want something you can turn your brain off and watch some some likable performers being really and truly goofy uh miracle workers on uh TBS so but more stuff to come in future weeks Right. For more of Dan's weekly recommendations, be sure to subscribe to The Hollywood Reporter's Now See This newsletter and bookmark THR.com slash TV dash reviews for more. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you, as always, for listening to TV's Top 5, The Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. We'll be back next week with a return likely to the strike zone and the latest on the ongoing negotiations between the studios and streamers and the performers union. Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. They help spread the word of mouth. Come say hi to us on Twitter or on MySpace if you're Leslie or Friendster or 
wherever you happen to be. Anyway. Come on, Dan. You know you had Friendster. I did have Friendster. I didn't have MySpace. I totally skipped MySpace. And and don't feel bad about it. Uh, you, you can only do so many things. I'm also trying my hardest to avoid threads. Uh, I just got no interest in supporting another Mark Zuckerberg platform. Um, so so come say hi on Blue Sky, damn it. I'm going to stick around there until it dies. Uh, I mean, or just email us, right? Yes, you can email us if you have questions for future mailbag segments. We got a few questions for this week, but we can always use more. You can email us at tvstop5 at thr.com. That's tvstop5, the numeral 5, at thr.com. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.